Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Breakpoint Show, the podcast dedicated to analyzing each and every episode of the tennis docuseries Breakpoint. I am Gil Gross, joined as always by Alex Gruskin, and we are ready to talk through episode eight of the series, Fairy Tale in New York. We arrive at the last major, the final major of the year, and just like they did with Wimbledon, it's a, a two-episoder where uh, we kind of get the first week of the U.S. Open, at least some of the storylines down, uh, but this episode was uh, very focused on Serena Williams and the woman who defeated Serena Williams, Isla Timjanovic uh, Gruskin. Let's, I actually want to start with Fritz, but um, were you surprised just before we get to Fritz, which was kind of the first little appetizer sampler in the episode, were you expecting that so much would be dedicated to the Serena storyline, given the fact that we know that Netflix wasn't actually following Serena, but you know they were, of course, able to follow Isla. Did I anticipate it? No. Am I happy they did it? Absolutely, for a couple of reasons. A, it was the story of the U.S. Open. That first week in New York was captivating, broke through the mainstream. It was leading sports center because you had so many celebrities, so many fellow athletes discussing what Serena Williams was trying to accomplish in her final tournament on the job and what she had meant, not just to the sport of tennis, but to sport more largely and why she is perhaps on the Mount Rushmore of all athletes in terms of not only all-time accomplishments, but all-time impact as well. And that story deserves to be told. That story is maybe something that can captivate more casual fans and perhaps intrigue them in what it's like facing that sort of greatness as an individual athlete. I think this was as compelling of an episode as we've seen thus far. I can't emphasize this enough. I continue to think the back half of this series is just a massive improvement from what we saw in one through five. And the last quote I would offer you at one point, another star of the show, our guy Rotko, uh, another great episode for him. He talks to Isla in the buildup of the match. He says, don't be a part of her show. We have our show. And it's just so funny to me that not only does he say that exact quote, but Isla Tomjanovic is literally a character in this Netflix docuseries and the episode is about Serena Williams. And it's literally encaptured in what this episode is doing. And this was, in my opinion, the best episode to date. You had the most compelling storyline. You had just the perfect narrative art. It was really well told. Yeah, yeah, really good, really good summary there. And uh, I, I think I'm, I'm with you on most of it. I guess when, when I was watching and really enjoying the episode, I was wondering like if I had any 
personal bias for this one because my my nostalgia was just through the roof. Uh, it's still the coolest thing that I've gotten to do. Well, can I ask you a question off that? Because yeah. the opening scene of the episode shows New York, and New York yeah. is a character right away, not just the city, mm -hmm. what it means to the athletes, but you walk on the ground and the chaos that ensues. Now, one of the biggest res uh, blemishes on my tennis resume is I have never been to the Open. You have. How accurate is that portrayal? What did you think of their capturing of the ethos of that event? It, it was great. Like, I, I loved it. Uh, first of all, the players at Wimbledon, they're not in London. Yeah. So, you know, it's not... They're in this little tennis bubble world where not much is going on, honestly. But when you play the U.S. Open... You stay in Manhattan if you're lucky enough. Maybe if you're trying to save money, you stay in Queens. I stay in Queens. Uh, <laughs> but but the players are are in Manhattan and they're walking the streets and they're experiencing the buzz and the noise. And also there's a certain chaos and a certain energy to the grounds uh, that I think the players talk about uh, that that also exists. There's there's just the people are loud. The people are drunk. It's crowded. It's a little, it's a big space, but somehow it still feels cramped and which is the essence of New York. I mean, the, you, you take way too many people and squish them into way too small a space. <laughs> and that's what Manhattan is about. And I think the tournament has that. And then look, Arthur Ashe is, is a monstrosity. And the, the stadium and the human, but you mean the stadium. Yes, and the, the grandiose of that particular tennis court uh, was also a, a major character in, in this episode. So I'm kind of glad that you said that you, you thought this was so compelling because as I was watching, you know, I, man, I just have so many amazing memories from last year. And look, the truth is I wasn't, I wasn't getting to sit through these Serena matches uh, we'll get into this with the Taylor Fritz thing, but I was often on uh, Louis Armstrong or on grandstand while these Serena matches were going on. And you could still feel the gravity, like literally the whole weight of the tournament being shifted to Serena. Uh, and w even walking in, I coming onto the grounds, like you pass the champions, the champions entrance, the champion suite entrance. And it's, Oh, like there's Spike Lee and there's Anna Wintour and there's Katie Couric. And you would and walk like, by. And, by the way, and everyone's like, and there's Ben Stiller, but he's always here. <laughs> <laughs> no, th there's Ben Stiller, but he's going to the Schwartzman match on Grandstand. <laughs> no, he's with you on Louie. He's yeah. like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I, I remember that. And then the moments that I did get to see, right? Like I was, I was in Ash. And I don't feel bad about going sideways on this because I think it'll be compelling. I was inside Ash when Serena walked out against Donka Kovinich. And if you remember, and I don't know if they quite communicated this, but like there was no guarantee that Serena was beating Donka Kovinich. Like yeah. we just we just didn't know. She got blitzed by Radakanu in Cincinnati two weeks before, for those that yeah. don't remember, and so her form was not strong. Yeah, so, so there was there was not a feeling of like, yeah, this probably isn't the last Serena match. No, like it was very much this could be. And I love that Courtney Nguyen said Serena is our Beyonce 
because when Serena walked out, it was like nothing I've ever seen in my life, never experienced in my life, because I thought, I thought it was like a Beyonce concert uh, where every, everyone had their cell phones out capturing a tennis player walking onto the court and nobody was outside getting beers and hot dogs and missing that moment when Serena walks onto the court, which, I mean, that's not normal in tennis. Usually you do miss that. You have no fear about missing that. The energy was just unbelievable. And just to, to I, I mean, you felt like they captured it. I mean, they called her the goat as she walked on court. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that too. There's, that too. There was partisanship. It was, I think Tom Yanovich said it best. Or whomever said the quote, a couple of people did. Sharapova, of all people, to talk about Serena's strength was just a brilliant touch. It was Serena's house, and they captured that perfectly. You talk about quotes. You use the term drunk on the ground. Sloan Stevens, it's emotionally drunk. They're actually drunk. That was a nice quote as well. Yeah, the strongest reaction, first six minutes of the episode I had, was immense jealousy. And who was I jealous of? Gil freaking gross. Because I was like, how do I steal this U.S. Open radio gig or get myself in the mix? Because I just have to be at the U.S. Open next year. I cannot believe I missed that. It just um, – it seemed exceptional. Yeah, you will you will be there very soon, I am sure. Uh, intro, the U.S. Open, you know, you got Mateo eating a hot dog on the side of the street. Uh, Sabalenka getting like honked at by the NYPD. <laughs> yeah. uh, foe at a Mets game. Um, so yeah, that's how it starts. And then we get straight to Serena, but then we go to Fritz. So let's kind of pay off the Taylor part. First of all, uh, we get him in a helicopter and then we get him in the back of a Bentley. It's like, <laughs> has, has anything like been more like, hey, remember he won Indian Wells. His life changed. Well, he was an extra that day on the set of Succession, so he just <laughs> he, he used the leftover accommodations. Um, yeah, he's Taylor Fritz Roy. Um, people didn't know, but no. Here's the thing: showing the shot of him, particularly in the Bentley, you can tell he had been silent on the card ride. And Morgan saying, as anyone would, "Hey, man, what's up?" Yeah, and that energy persisted through the Fritz segment. And so you're absolutely right to point out the absurdity of the shots. At the same time, if you ignore those two critical details, I thought it set the tone perfectly for what we saw for the segment. Yeah, uh, they, they were definitely. And obviously, when you have the benefit of hindsight, you can set these things up. But you did have kind of a, a nervousness that they were able to, to build up. Uh, in anticipation with this match against Brandon Holt, who you know was a qualifier making his ATP Tour debut, uh, they they definitely smoothed over some some storylines that were available with Holt. You know, Tracy Austin's son, uh, best friends with Taylor Fritz growing up, and you know neither of those things kind of uh, made it. Uh, but I thought we got some good insights about you know, Taylor's expectation on himself and how close he's getting. And you know, quote I love from Fritz, uh, he goes, look, in America, everyone kind of expects to be the best. So if you're like five in the world in tennis, nobody really cares. Mm -hmm. and For the record, you, you didn't so add true. the like. 
Fritz had that in the quote as well. And it it kind of perfectly encaptures the reality of that quote. I agree with you. It's very candid. If you're not winning slams or definitively earning headlines. So this past weekend, Alcaraz won Queens Club. It cracked top headlines on ESPN.com. For an American to do that, they'd have to win an Indian Wells. They'd have to win a slam. And I think that's a fair reality to, for Taylor Fritz to say because he won Indian Wells. And I'm sure he kind of still was walking around like, yeah, they. some people might be like, who are you? But they don't recognize him the way they would a, a Grand Slam champion. Yeah, he, he's not an American celebrity athlete yes. in a way that a lot of the the best of the other major sports are, right? Uh, but we don't need to dwell on that. I mean, Taylor Fritz loses to Brandon Holt, which was a real shocker. First of all, I was so glad, and this goes back to like feelings of being on the ground. They didn't really cover this, but this was a crazy day at the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Serena was playing Donka Kovinic, and I was distracted by Stefanos Tsitsipas, who was losing to Daniel Galan. So this was all happening at the same time. I never saw the Fritz Holt match. I, I, it completely went uh, under my radar, which is the reality of the beginning of a slam. So I was delighted that they were covering this match because I, I'm fascinated in that particular match. Yeah. How I, happy? I, oh, no, what were your please. thoughts on on just the decision? Like, let's cover Taylor Fritz. And this shocking first round loss, because what it probably was, was let's make sure to have cameras on Fritz as he plays his home slam. See, I disagree. I think the purpose of setting the scene with Fritz and to your point about the Tracy Austin, Brandon Holt being Tracy's son, Brandon growing up with Taylor, Brandon, a former USC All-American himself, heck of a player. I don't know where there was room in this episode to do that. Now, maybe you can just add another 15 seconds and the episode is 45 minutes instead of 44 or whatever it may be. That would be fine. But I think the whole purpose of the Taylor Fritz sequence, him setting the scene for the U.S. Open, its importance to Americans, particularly watching Americans compete at that atmosphere, why Serena being this crowning success in an era where there haven't been a ton of American men breaking through at the slams is that much more important. I think the the whole point of the Fritz segment was to set the tone of, look, this is the stage, this is the stakes, these are the nerves that set in. And that was the whole point of the Fritz segment is to say, look, even as a favorite, you're experiencing nerves as an American on home soil. And to hear Morgan talk about seeing the ticks in Taylor on court, I thought that was a fascinating segment. But all that was to set the stage of if you think Taylor Fritz is feeling nerves in a first round match, imagine what Conteve is going through. Imagine what Isla is going through. And this the stakes for each match shown by Netflix continued to grow larger. And it just made the episode, it kept you enticed in the episode. Yeah, I I think that's, I don't disagree with any of that. I think that's all fair. Uh, Was this the first awful loss we saw in the series? Like there have been, (laughs) there have been players losing and being disappointed, but, and, and Taylor wouldn't be offended. And by the way, I mean, I should plug, we interviewed Taylor Fritz after the first five episodes uh, and, it, and it was it was really great to be able to talk to Taylor. Uh, and when I say off a loss, I mean, Fritz would be the first guy to raise his hand and agree with that assessment. I mean, he hated that loss uh, in the moment, uh, called it embarrassing. He said 
on the dock that he felt like he let uh, a lot of people down. But um, I, I feel like we hadn't gotten that. And I like that. Like, I want to know that Netflix isn't just going to cover that super like positive quarterfinal run or final run. Like, I want that terrible first round loss. No, he said it was a day. Like it, it gets back to something we talked about last episode and why Isla and to some extent Fritz in the way they've portrayed him are perfect displays of the narrative of a tennis player is there's a lot of losing that happens throughout the course of the year. And you can have these grand weeks. You can win a Wimbledon, uh, excuse me, win an Indian Wells. You can make a quarterfinal at Wimbledon. That doesn't matter at the next event. That doesn't matter the next week. And, you know, again, as high as the highs can be and as great as it is to catch that lightning in the bottle, a lot of the time it's on the other end of the stick when you are doubting yourself and you are going through adversity and you lose a match like Fritz did. And I do think this show has been pretty honest, well, to an extent, at showing both sides of the equation. Yeah, well, I think what it's benefited from is anytime you lose, it sucks yeah. and it's hard. So I, I think what we have seen is players losing. Uh, but usually, like, just because, let's say, it's Maria losing in a semifinal or a final or or some or Ons losing uh, in the Wimbledon final, it, it's still brutal and it's still heartbreaking. But I don't know that we've gotten, like, the, whoa, yeah. I lost this match? Like, really? I don't think that we've actually gotten that example um until now uh okay but you're right that was the beginning of the episode it was an appetizer yeah. the the main entree was this serena storyline and the isla storyline I, I will say though you know we did get kind of a, a larger scope i do think that's been one of the adjustments right it's like you just toss in the hey felix lost to draper uh and and that kind of like little mm -hmm. those little things that only take five seconds but it's like Look, we've built up these characters earlier in the series. We've told you these are the people you should care about. You know, just address them. Check in on them. Mm -hmm. No, they showed a little Alcaraz. They showed a little Francis, who's obviously coming up a little later. Mm -hmm. I agree. I liked, even though it was minimal portrayals of actual tennis, I did like those checking in the draws. And hopefully that's something we see employed more moving forward, particularly now that we know our cast of characters. Yeah, I think it's good. Like, just don't yeah. don't ignore the characters that you've established in the series. Agreed. Uh, it would be would be uh, something that I think that they're doing better now. Uh, okay, so Serena, let's just start here. She beats Kovinic. Uh, she beats Contivate. We're not hearing from Serena, but I think the atmosphere, and in this case, they they do get insider status, I guess, with with Annette. They're on the practice court with her. They're interviewing her. And once again, I just feel like this is this was another example of the way the series does tennis matches worked here because it wasn't really about the tennis. It was like, whoa, this environment is actually way too much for Annette Contivate to handle, and she couldn't handle it. They've done it three times excellently, portraying the fear of playing Ralph at Roland Garros, portraying the fear of playing Djokovic at Wimbledon, now portraying the fear of playing Serena Williams in this moment. There were a couple of different moments, whether it's Andy Roddick at the very beginning in discussing what Serena Williams has done, 
maybe the best quote we'll get of the series. Five Wimbledons and Venus is the second best player in her family. <laughs> like, that's the sort of trash I would talk to my brother. I'd be like, yeah, that's cute. That's second best. Um, it was just incredible and spoke to the stakes. You have the scene. You talk to Conteve, who really deserves the supporting actress Emmy because her job in portraying what it's like to go through that experience, they showed us everything. They showed us the smiles beforehand. They showed us the manager talking to Conteve saying, hey, like, if you win, you know, be deferential here. I just like, I know you're focused on the match and everything, but we have to have this conversation because you've seen these crowds. You understand this is a replay that'll be played forever. So I just like... Wasn't that amazing? It was... You, as a manager... You are not allowed to do that on match day. That is a conversation you have two weeks before, a week before, and maybe if you approach a championship final, you have that conversation. But otherwise, you let a player stay in their headspace. That, to me, speaks to, like, yo, you're playing Serena. Like, we just got to make sure everything's good. Yeah, but I just don't know that it's avoidable, right? Like, so that, okay, for those, just to so that we, everyone remembers what we're talking about, Contivates on the practice court and before, and this is the, the day of the match. Uh, so, you know, light hit 30 minutes, trying to time it so that after we go in for the warm up, you know, we're going to basically be on court pretty soon. And she says, um, she basically brief the manager, her manager briefs her on what to say if she wins, if she wins the match. You're right, man. Like, if she were playing, let's go with the random player here. Like, if she were playing Veronica Kudermatova, the manager doesn't need to be like, Annette, here's what to say if you win. Like, that just speaks to how abnormal this occasion is that the manager needs to go over these things. Yeah, it's a Tomjanovic quote, but it comes from Rocco again. They're joking in the dinner the night before the Tomjanovic match. And... You know, he's talking about, I went up against a handball crowd of 5,000 people. If I can do that, you can do this. Great anecdote. But then one of the sisters go, 30,000 people. And I understand the guys, we're f***ed. Like, that's going to be the mainstream quote. But that wasn't the funny part. The funny part was when she says 30,000 people, and it dawns on him, and Rocco goes, 30,000 people? And there's a look in his eyes that go, oh, my God, she's right. Like, it's not 5,000. It's 30,000. <laughs> and it was a great follow-up line to lock in the joke, but the real humor comes from the look in his eyes of being like, oh, my God, not only are you playing Serena, you are playing 30,000 people. And... Part two for Conteve, I guess this is where we can wrap her story. Mm -hmm. The tears in the post-match press conference for her to say, I never want to go through that again. Like, oh, you just, you can't even imagine cheering through double faults. Everything you do, you are the villain that day. And even though you know it's not personal, sure as hell feels like it when you're on the court. And God, did this episode just give us everything from from the pre-match conversation to the post-match tears. Like, it was a journey. It's what television needs to be. And so, shout out to episode eight. Yeah. And, and again, like, because that crushed her. Like, yeah. the environment crushed her. Netflix could paint, the Breakpoint producers could paint a great picture of the match because... Uh, Again, what we talk about, we're not doing tactics and technique here. 
But when it's not tactics and technique, they nail it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, now, the match is set to Mianovic versus Serena, third round. And what really stood out to me here was it felt like the first time in, in the series where the producers were like, we don't care how long this takes. We are going to take our time here and leave no stone unturned in portraying this experience from start to finish. Don't you feel like they just allowed this to breathe a little bit more than any other moment? Perfectly put. You know how there's a trend of YouTube or TikTok videos where it's like, here's what I ate for a day, or here was my day in Lisbon. It was Mm -hmm. literally the Netflix documentary version of here is my day playing Serena Williams. And (laughs) it was incredible from the warmups. Again, shout out to... I promise you it doesn't matter if I get my bagel before my coffee. Like, that's not going to decide what it's going to beat Serena, which, by the way, is better thinking than I would have because I would be like, no, 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 I've had the bagel first every day. I'm going to have that first. Then I'm going to have the coffee, and we'll go from there. Um, it was perfect. It, it, it was an excellent narrative. I'm curious what stood out to you. Well, first of all, it's so easy – Like what Isla says here isn't profound, but I got chills because she said, look, I'm playing Serena on Ash in the third round at 7 p.m. on a Friday night. (laughs) And that's where you just remember. It's like if you're Isla Tomjanovic, you are now the center of the United States sporting universe on a Friday night. Global, global. Serena retirement was global. I, I agree with that. But I think when you're in that kind of New York bubble at least for me it it just feels like yes it's big globally but also serena is is bigger in the u.s than anywhere else sure and when you're in the united states playing serena at 7 p.m on a friday night and it could be her last match in gotham city those details right but like those details look like it's friday yeah. Nobody has any nobody has to do. Everybody's watching. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. It just felt so more. big. Yeah. Now, how about this? We talk about that tearful press conference. They got Isla watching it. I and know. they got Isla talking about it. It almost prepares her. Mm-hmm. Like she saw what happened to Annette. And then the rest of the time, from what Rotko was telling her to what Chrissy Everett said, when Chrissy Everett called her, everything was Isla. It's not None of it was about the tennis. It was like, you need you need to be able to tune out this crowd. You need to be prepared for this. This is what it's going to be. You don't care. You go win the match. I agree. She even said, I'm not looking up. I'm, I'm going by yeah. the crowd noise. Okay, they made a roar. It's time for me to walk to the net. I... And just and I loved how it went silent. And it did help that she broke right away to get things going. But absolutely... Um, it, it was all of it, the emotions from start to finish, the seriousness you need to have, the fact that her dad in the car again says, Hey, you know, again, a, you have to allow yourself to enjoy this moment and B, to your point, don't be a part of her show. This is your show. You have to trick yourself into focusing on the tennis. It was awesome. Yeah. And, and it's, it's funny that what stood out about Rotko's quote was that, because I actually have what he just said after it uh, 
after he said, it's your show, he said, you didn't come here to be in your shadow. You came here to remove her and retire her. Yeah. I mean, Ruth, when Andy did his interview in a backwards hat, like what yeah. a guy, what Dude, a man. Rot- Rotko is the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. But when, when you're a goofball, like he is like, and you get serious, mm-hmm. that's when you get someone to listen to you. Yeah. You know, it's when you have those, th- those different modes, like Rotko actually, you know, obviously came in midway through Isla's season to try to turn things around. And the more we see that emotional dynamic in what he brings, even if Tomjanovic like sometimes feels like she's like rejecting it and being like, you know, come on, dad, get out of here with this. <laughs> uh, you can tell that, like that he has helped her. Mm-hmm. Uh, the match itself, look like Mary Carrillo is a wordsmith. And I've noticed that a lot of, a lot of what is said in commentary matters for the way they portray these matches, because what's said in commentary is kind of what gets in the show. Uh, they don't have, they don't have like Courtney Nguyen or Andy Roddick or Maria Sharapova talking about what's happening in these matches ever. So it's the commentary. Yeah. Or it's the player themselves who yes, is yes. expressing, here's what I was thinking. This is what I was going through. And do they show a ton of tennis? No, they did show more in this episode. They had a few more angles a few more over the top you can watch points finish or a couple of closing shots but yeah they talked about the mental struggle they I thought did an excellent job of having the commentary ex- uh, explain the magnitude of the crowd even if you couldn't necessarily hear exactly how loud they were there was a comment yeah. where I wish I could explain how loud it is here and you know, again, just to put that sort of imagery in the viewer's head speaks to the magnitude of the moment. And yeah, I, I it's one of those matches, once again, where you want to go back and rewatch the highlights because it just seems like mm-hmm. it was one of those transcendent sporting moments. Yeah, uh, th- you know, Serena wins the second set and that's yeah. where the crowd's going wild. Just real quick, do you feel like the noise, the actual noise of the crowd, did that come through because that's one area like I think they were trying it didn't sound that good to me well the message came through you had Felix as well saying hey they're going to be on top of you like just be ready for that have you ever played on Ash before did the sound come through I can't answer that because I listen while I'm on the stationary bike in a garage and so I'm I can hear it um but like the magnitude of it I don't know how you can do that in Netflix. I don't know exactly no, I, if it's easy to do that unless you're there. Well, dude, it's it's we're talking about sound engineering here, and I know nothing yeah. about it. Yeah, this uh, is above. Uh, uh, should I bring in Westoff? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, bring in <laughs> Westoff. Just be like Westoff. How how could that crowd have sounded better? No, look, I I just think on the technical areas, it's not something we focus on for obvious yeah. reasons. But you know, the editing, the shooting. Yeah. I mean, these, it's just world class. I mean, mm-hmm. what what these Netflix documenteurs are able to do, these producers and, and all that. I think one area where I, I did feel like, okay, like technically, I don't know if they nailed this, was just the actual sound of the arena. Uh, and again, I don't, I don't know how you'd make that better, but I, I, don't know that, I don't know that it came across like literally acoustically, but from a message standpoint, it, they definitely did everything they could. And by the way, the visuals, you see everybody in the first 10 rows standing up and screaming with their arms up, which is, it looks a lot different than the normal visual we get of tennis fans sitting down 
and putting their hands together. Like clapping sounds different than yelling. And Arthur Ashe, when Serena was playing in these three matches, nobody was clapping. This wasn't a clapping situation. This was a yelling situation. And that's what was so awesome. You could tell. Again, they showed the celebrities. They showed the celebrations. They showed the skyline of New York. I got to say, and in the post-match press conference, whatever shirt Mary Jo Fernandez was wearing with the polka dots, send me <laughs> one. I'll rock it on the next show here gladly because uh, that's style. Yeah, the, the I thought the senior – the shots fit the magnitude. They sold it. You can tell yeah. that this meant something. Yeah. Uh, they didn't They didn't focus on any of like the Serena uh, fanfare, like the goodbye Serena stuff, which actually happened after the Donka Kovinic win. So, so they skipped over that, but it didn't really matter. Um, Isla, after winning the match, doesn't really get to react. You know, she doesn't get to celebrate. It's an awkward situation, right? Now, she kills it on the mic. Oh, my uh, God. That's an all-time <laughs> post-match press conference. It needs to be established because that's one of my notes I said have to say on the show here today. Absolutely. Just absolutely to have the grace, the class, to frame her accomplishment in the shadow of Serena's success and what Serena set the stage for everyone to do. If you're Conteve, who's now retired, you're firing your manager, you're hiring Isla. You're like, yeah, that's the speech I should have given. Where was that <laughs> paragraph just handed to me? Yeah, it, it was unbelievable. And this is where, you know, we talk about Isla. We talk about Netflix getting a little bit lucky with how well Isla ended up doing compared yeah. to what she was at the start of the 2022 season. I, I also think, you know, on the other side of the coin, um, Netflix also got lucky with just the character that she is. And I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know that they would have, I think they wanted a couple. Like, I think they wanted to follow a couple on the tour and they were like, let's get Mateo and Isla and like get this together. It ended up being not a couple by the end of the year. And they were just so rewarded anyway with the, with the Timjanovic stuff, which, which was kind of awesome. And, you know, I guess that's what you get in tennis where just, People make stuff happen. I've said it before. Tomjanovic epitomizes a little bit of everything. It's the common top 100 player's journey where it's not always going to be brilliant, but every so often you're going to get thrown into the right situation. It's going to break your way, and you're going to have that breakthrough moment. She's good enough to be interesting, but not so good that this Netflix series would have been intrusive and somehow something would have gotten in trouble in her life through doing it. And she was extraordinarily candid. She was it just it, it wasn't fake. It was very yeah. authentic. That's the yeah. word I keep coming back to in my head is she talked you through her struggles. She showed you the characters. We got to see the breakup. But more than anything, we got to see the journey. And I know that's so cheesy. I'm so mad that came out of my mouth. But it was exceptional. She was a great – even in, like, the post-match, oh, so you're ready to move on to the next thing, Dad? Like, of course, you can't just celebrate the moment. And da his, her dad was like, what? I literally invented celebrating the moment. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? And so I thought it was well done. Yeah, I mean, her her and uh, Isla and Rotko afterwards on the exercise bike, you know, yeah. another incredible exchange. You know, Can he you was imagine proud, proud. being like, my daughter just retired Serena? Like, well, that's the thing. Like he, I mean, I'm sure he was feeling very nervous. But back of his head, my handball stories are ruined. Isla couldn't like look up, right? Yeah. She didn't want to. I mean, you can do this. But I don't think Tomjanovic wanted to be like, 
okay, like let's soak it in, look around, look into the rafters, you know, appreciate the moment. I think, you know, she decided that that wouldn't be best for her. If you're Rotko, you can do that. Like, I'm sure he was in the box just being like, looking and, and being like, wow, like, that's Tom Cruise over there. Uh, Tom Cruise is more of a Wimbledon guy, I feel like. Yeah. He doesn't really cover the U.S. <laughs> Open. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know what I mean? Like Rocco might be able to appreciate that more, and he said he was going to enjoy every moment. But, man, I, I love going, you know, getting to from the hotel room to dinner. Again, taking their time with Timjanovic over that insane 24 hours really built up this moment um, and, and just – made what was an absolutely enormous thing, which was Serena's farewell at the U.S. Open, feel just as enormous. And it, it gave that that insight, you know, inside baseball that I think this series is all about. All right, Could, let's wrap it up. More. You want to give it uh, some line of the show, quote of the show. It's tough because I know we talk about stuff as we go. No, Andy Roddick, five Wimbledon, second best in her family Love about it. Venus. is That's just... That's just how tennis players talk. Um, and so great that, choice. That's quote or the look in the eyes after 30,000 people character of the st- this would be this will be my last point I promise. Okay. There has been lots of discussion should Isla have been included to the extent that she was in season mm-hmm. 1 and I know you just addressed it there but a if she hadn't made the Wimbledon quarterfinal if she hadn't been the person to can beat Serena. Do you think she would have been in the earlier episodes to the extent that she was? This is what we in the business call a payoff. This is the crowning moment that makes the Tomjanovich storyline all make sense as a part of season one. Because guess what? Be- that match was maybe the biggest match of anything that happened in 2022. And for the viewer to understand why it was so significant that Isla freaking Tomjanovic, of all people, beat Serena Williams, you needed two and a half episodes to get there. And I just think it paid off well. I will offer the final word to you. Yeah, so Isla, no, I, I agree with that. It, it, made it, it made it worth, you know, building up the business the cor- center, the, the Cornet, the <laughs> business center, the Cornet fourth round match, which was apparently the most important match of all time. <laughs> <laughs> all of that stuff became worth it because this was fantastic. Yeah. And um, although she beat Mukova round one of that past US Open, I was like, good win, Isla. It was. That yeah. was. That, that ages extraordinarily well. This has been episode eight. Fairy tale in New York. And we'll see you again for the next one, the Breakpoint Recap Show, available on the Cracked Rackets Podcast Network and the Gilgros YouTube channel.